Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 12. We're, we're going to get through it. No, actually, we won't. I take it back. We're not going to get through Mark chapter 12 today because I know me. But we will get close to being through Mark chapter 12 today. And what, I'm getting booed back here. Uh, what we've been seeing in Mark chapter 12 is actually it's been um, the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees have been coming to Jesus and they're asking him questions. And what they're doing in asking him questions is trying to discredit him, and they're trying to make it so that he no longer appears to be authoritative. He no longer appears to be someone who's speaking for God. The best way to do that is to try to tear someone down, and then all of the followers of Jesus will come and follow them. So they've been asking him lots of questions, trying to trip him up, and he's been answering them all perfectly and wisely and in a way that they can't understand or a way that they can't even explain. And so now what happens is this is the last question that he's asked, and Instead of coming and trying to trip him up, there's one guy that starts to get it. He starts thinking, this Jesus, he knows something. And if I try to trip him up, it's going to look really bad for me. So he comes to him with an, instead of trying to trap him in his question, he comes to Jesus with an honest and sincere question, which must have been a really nice change of pace for Jesus. And this is how it begins. In verse 28 of chapter 12, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Now, at the time, there were 613 laws that were a part of what they called the law that the Jewish people lived according to. It was a law that was given uh, on Mount Sinai to the people by God about the way that you're supposed to live, the way that you're supposed to relate to God, and the way that you're supposed to relate to other people. I remember one of my favorite things as I read through the giving of the law is like there's a lot of laws about oxen. Have you noticed that? Like Jesus, or God just led the people of, of uh, the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders. He's taking them out. He's appearing in a glory cloud and he's giving them the law now. Like, yes, like, God, what are you going to say? Like, I'm ready to receive. What have you got for me? He's like, if your ox gets out of its field and goes into your neighbor's field and tramples it, you need to repair the fence and you need to pay them for the produce that was damaged. Okay? If your ox gets out and gores someone, you need to pay them for the ox getting out and goring them. It's like, all right, okay? Like, destiny or purpose or dreams, hopes, vision, anything like that for me, God? Like, he just keeps going through all of these laws that you look at it and you're like, God, why is this important? What does this matter about anything? It's because what's happened is they've just come out of slavery. They've just come out of a place where they had no authority over any of the decisions that they made. They had no personal property. They didn't have, so they never had an ox before, so you don't know what you're supposed to do when your ox gets out and gores someone. So what God's doing is he's teaching them about the way, first of all, that you relate to God because they don't know God. They've never known him. God's revealed himself. And so now God's saying, all right, here's how you relate to me, but also here's now how you're called to live in relationship with each other. 
This is the standard that I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to live in this way. The society that I'm forming, the nation of Israel, this is the way that you're called to relate to me and that you're called to relate to each other. So he gives a law, and then they add some other traditions to it and everything else over time, and they end up with 613 different laws that they all have to follow perfectly. Now, there's debates all the time about what is the greatest law? What sums up the law? Because we have all of these laws but what is the heart behind it? And as I was reading it this week, and I started thinking, like, what is the heart behind our law? As, as Americans, as a citizen of this country, with all of the laws that we have, I was trying to think, what is the heart behind our law? If we were to sum it up into one thing, what is the most important law that we have that governs everything else? And I couldn't come up with it. I had some ideas, but we have so many contradictory laws that I couldn't figure it out. And this is how they're feeling. We have all of these laws but we don't know what the most important part of it is. What is the heart behind it? What's the unifying thing behind all of the law that God has given us? And so Jesus answers them, and it says in verse 29, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that there is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any other questions. Jesus sums up real simply what all of the law is about, what it is that God's trying to do and to accomplish in our hearts in the way that we relate to him and in the way that we relate to other people. Is that he wants us to love him and then out of the love that we have for God to begin to love other people. When we get this straight, this is what Augustine said. He says, all you have to do is to love God and then do whatever you please. Because if you love God, then the way that you interact with other people is always going to be loving them as you love yourself. It's always going to be loving them as God loves them. These are the two things that we have to get down. Now, the people, they missed it. They thought it's all about the sacrifices. It's all about the offerings that we have to make. Jesus says that's not what it's all about. The reason why you have to make the sacrifices and the offerings is because you've missed out on these two things. All of the other laws were all about loving God with everything that you are and loving other people as you love yourself. That is the heart of the law. That's the heart of what God has called us to. It's really the heart of the Christian life and the faith that we have. It all boils down to those two simple things, right? Two simple things. All you have to do is love God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength, and all your soul, and to love other people as yourself. That's it. Like, that's the hardest thing in the world, right? Like, Jesus gave us the two hardest things that he could possibly ask us to do. If he had said, you need to teach class to, cats to play clarinet, like, that would have been easier. But instead, what Jesus does is he tells us to do the most impossible things, to love God with everything that we are, and then to love others as we love ourselves. And today I'm going to focus just on that part about loving God, and next week we'll talk about how it is that we love other people because it's just too much for us to get through in one day. 
But when it comes to this idea of loving God with everything, he doesn't just say love God because we all love lots of things. I love ice cream, Guernsey's chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. I have a great affection for that especially. I love it. We love pizza. We love sunsets. We love cat memes. We love all sorts of things. But Jesus says that the way that we're called to love God is with everything, with the totality of who we are. It's all of our heart. It's all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our might. All of this is supposed to go into the way that we love God. And that sounds really good on paper. And it's like, yeah, God, I want to love you in this way. Jesus, I see that you're worthy of it. It's like from this day forward, I'm going to love you with absolutely everything that I am. But then you go about trying to do it, and you find out it's not as easy as you thought. I remember, like, this, this is the way I am. I'm, a, I'm really good, like, in theory and on paper. I come up with great ideas, and I have great understandings of things theoretically. And so I'm in college, and I had been dating a girl that wasn't a great girl to be dating. And so after that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just find, like, the most godly, sweet woman that I can possibly find and like, I'm going to love her with everything that I am, and it's going to be just this great relationship, and like, it's going to be awesome. And so I remember like, at the gym, like I used to work out, yeah, way back in the day in college when you're trying to impress people, uh, so I go to the gym, and there was this girl that was always at the gym, and I noticed that she was always at the Bible study, and she was always at chapel early, and she always looked like she really loved Jesus, and she was so friendly and everything else. It's like, that's a great, I should be in a relationship with a girl like that. And so I start talking to her and trying to get to know her, and it turns out we have absolutely nothing in common. Like we're probably as opposite as two people could humanly be. We have no common interests. We don't see the world in the same way whatsoever other than we both love Jesus and are committed to him. But I'm like, all right, but you know what? We can make this work. They did arrange marriages back in the day. Like I haven't told her that I like her yet. You know, I'm just like psyching myself up. I'm trying to get myself to, to love this girl and, and so, like, I just keep trying, and I'm like, I can do this. Like, her parents are great. I hear about her family, and her brother came and visited once. Like, clearly they have a great family. Like, why can't I love this girl? And so I would try, and i try, and i try, but then all of these other girls that weren't anything like her, that were girls that I should not be dating, they always seemed to be the ones that my heart was drawn to. I was like, oh, she's an artist. Like, that's so awesome. Look at that forearm tattoo. That's so sweet. And there's nothing as forearm tattoos, but this girl was not a tattoo girl. And so I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm focused. I got to love her. Like, I got to get my heart convinced. So I'll like her enough that I'll be able to ask her out and then we'll get married and it's going to be awesome. And I, I just couldn't do it. Like every other girl in the entire world seemed more interesting to me than her. Like every single one of them. I was trying to make my heart do something. I was trying to stir up a love in my heart for her and I just wasn't able to do it. And she wasn't the only time I did that. I did it with another girl once, too. And then I decided, like, that, that I'm going to kiss dating goodbye. I didn't read the book. But I think the girls all just said that to me. We're kissing dating Jeremy goodbye. And so I gave up on that, and then I met my wife. So that was awesome. But, <laughs> but trying to make yourself love someone or to stir up an emotion or a feeling, uh, to make it so that you love someone with all of your mind, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, when you just don't even like them, that's something that you can't just work up in yourself. And it's the same way with God. You can look at him on paper and say, like, he's so awesome. He, he provides. He's good. He, 
he never is faithless. Like he's always so faithful. He created everything. That's pretty awesome. Like, God, I should love you. God, I want to love you with everything that I am. God, like, I want to. I'm trying to like, exercise my willpower to love you, Jesus. And then everything else walks by, and you're like, oh, hey, club. Like, oh, hey, money. Or sex, or relationships, or greed, or, or popularity, or acceptance, whatever. You're trying to love God, but all of these other things are pulling on your heart so much more. Everything seems better and more attractive or more worth going after and giving yourself to than God. That's the way it's always going to be. Unless you come to the point of where you have this revelation of how much God loves you. The only thing that will ever change your heart so that it's not just you trying to convince yourself to love God. It's not you just trying to convince yourself to go after him and to walk away from the life that you were living that you actually really still like a lot. The only thing that will ever make it so that you can love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your might is to have a revelation from God himself of how great his love is for you. In 1 John 4.19 it says this, It says, we love because he first loved us. What John understood is that the only way that he came to love Jesus, the only way that he came to follow after Jesus and walk away from the life that he was living and now love God with everything that he was, everything that was inside of him, everything he would ever be, was the fact that he had this revelation of how great God's love was for him. We love God because he first loved us. And you can't even love God without that revelation. I remember the day that I first started loving my parents. It was January 22nd, 2012, in a hospital room in Borges Hospital. And what happened was, you know, I was 30, 30 years old, I don't know, 31 years old, <laughs> something. I was old, 31 years old. And I thought I'd love my parents. Because they'd always given me things, they'd always provided for me, all of that kind of stuff. But then what happened was, for the first time, I held my child. I remember the first time I held him. And I looked into his eyes, and something broke inside of me. There was a part of my heart that opened up that I never knew was there. I always knew that parents loved their kids, and I thought I understood it. Turns out you don't understand it until you have a kid. And I remember holding him and just looking at him and thinking he was so perfect and he was so beautiful. And just like overwhelming love stirring up inside of my heart for him. And he did nothing for me. Like infants, they do absolutely nothing. They don't bring you any benefit. They're cute, but they're not even that cute when they come out. They're all gray and squawky and screaming. I was going to change his diapers. I was not going to feed him, but my wife was going to feed him. He was going to scream all night long, every night. It made me think I was going to die from lack of sleep. He brought nothing to me. He didn't love me. Like, everybody thinks that your babies love you. They don't. Like, they're just too young to understand what love is. They love you as much as you provide them food and warmth. Like, that's it. 
My son brought me nothing. He couldn't even say, I love you. He didn't even love me. It wasn't like, well, he loves me. He just can't express it. He brought me nothing. All he did was cost me. All he did was cost Anna. And yet I loved him so much. I would do anything for him. I would pay any price. I would have laid down my life for him in that moment. He never would have known his dad. But I would have laid my life down for him. And I had this realization. Oh my gosh. That's how my parents love me. I had no idea that my parents loved me like that. I couldn't even fathom the love that my parents had for me. And as soon as I handed the baby back to Anna, I got on my phone and I called my parents. I said, hey, great news. You know, Eason was born. He's doing great. You need to come see him. And I'm so sorry. They're like, what? I'm like, I'm a jerk. I had no idea how much you love me. I had no idea. If I had known how much you loved me, I never would have done all of these things. Like I never would have had all of these wrong motives in my heart, these wrong presuppositions about the way that you viewed me. About, like I, I was such a jerk, and I'm so, so sorry. And they laughed. And they said, yeah, we felt the same way when we had your sister. It's like... <laughs> I never knew how much they loved me. And when I figured out how much my parents loved me, that's when I started loving them because it was in response to their love for me. And then I had this other realization. That's how God loves me. And so I had this other conversation. God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea how much you loved me. I'm such a jerk. God, forgive me for doubting your motives. God, forgive me for, for not understanding how much you loved me. And that greater revelation of how much Jesus loves me stirred up a new love in my heart for him. Now, you don't have to be a parent to have a revelation of God's love for you. That wasn't the first revelation. I can go back to when I was you know, 19 years old. I can go back to when I was 14 years old in these moments where God revealed his love for me. And it went from me just following after him as an exercise of my own willpower, of I know the way I'm called. These are at least 613 laws that I've got to follow after. These are the sacrifices. These are the offerings that I have to make. All of these different things. God, like, I want to love you, but God, I just can't love you. Like, oh, hey, club, hey, drink. Like, hey, girl, hey, relationship, hey, money, career, whatever. God, no, no, really, I'm committed to you. I'll be back for you guys later. But no, God, I'm really for you. It was like this constant struggle and turmoil of God, I know I'm supposed to love you. God, I want to love you, but I'm just not able to. And the reason I wasn't able to is because I never had this realization of how great God's love was for me. See, there was this point where I was costing him, and I brought absolutely nothing to him. There was a time in my life where I didn't love him, there was a time in my life where I was living as an enemy of God. Not only was I not loving him, but I was actively rebelling against him. I was rejecting the one who loved me and made me, the one who gave everything for me. I was living as an enemy of God, but still he loved me. I was costing him everything. I cost him his very life to be able to come and to save me because of my own decisions that I made. But when I was costing God everything, 
when I brought him nothing, he loved me. This is what it says in Romans 5, 7 through 9. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. See what happened was I had this revelation one day that I was a sinner. I had this revelation that I had fallen so far short of God and his glory and everything that he had called me to. I deserved his wrath. I deserved his judgment. I deserved punishment. I deserved to be separated from him. I deserved hell. But he didn't give me what I deserved. That he still was pursuing me. That when I wasn't looking for God, when I was just doing my own thing, he came to me and he revealed himself to me. And he called me a son. He called me his beloved. And he called me to himself. When I didn't deserve it, Jesus went to the cross for me. There are people in this world that I would die for. My wife, my children, my family member, some of my friends. Okay, all of my friends. That sounds really bad. On paper, I would die for all of my friends. (laughs) All of you, at least. There's people I wouldn't die for, though. they don't deserve it. It wouldn't be worth it to me. So I don't want to rob my wife of a husband or my children of a father. It wouldn't be worth it for that to me. Because I don't love them enough. But we have a father who loves us so much that he would sacrifice his own son for us. I wouldn't sacrifice my son for anyone. Not for anything. But he loves us so much. He would sacrifice even his son so that we could be brought back into relationship with him. So that we could become the recipients of his grace and his favor. So we could become the recipients of this great love that we found in him. When we have a revelation of that kind of love for us, it does something inside of our hearts. I remember the brokenness the first time that I felt that. I was like, God, I had no idea. God, forgive me of my own sin. God, forgive me of the way that I haven't been following after you. God, forgive me of the way that I haven't been loving you. And God, do something inside of my heart so that I can love you. Because I haven't even been able to stir that up in myself. Even though you've been so worthy of it, even though it's what I've wanted for my life, Jesus, I haven't been able to love you even though I knew you were worth it. God started doing something in me that day. That revelation of his love for me began to stir up a love and an affection for me. 
when I had this realization, you know, it says that God wants us to love, us, love him with all of our heart. What that means, that's the emotions. That means all of our passions. They're all for him. When it says that we're supposed to love him with all of our soul, that means life itself. That's the origination of life. When it says that we're supposed to love him with all of our mind, that speaks to the way that we understand things that are around us. When we're supposed to love God with all of our strength, that means our ability or our capacity to act and to do things. It seems like it's such a high demand that God wants us to love him in that way. God, all of my emotions, all of my passion for you, and not just in the positive sense of giving them to him, but also saying that there are, there are things that you've been giving your heart and your passions and your desires to that are wrong. And God's calling us now to give them all to him, to submit them all to him. When it comes down to life itself, like God, my life my life itself is to be laid down for you. I'm supposed to love you more than life itself or our understanding. God, there's a lot of things about you that don't make sense. Like number one, that you love me in this way. But I'm supposed to submit all of my understanding to you and to walk in faith instead of according to understanding. God, I'm supposed to love you with all of my strength that everything that I do, every action, it's all supposed to be an act of love expressed towards you. Jesus, that's a high price. But it's the exact way that God's loved us. With all of his heart, with all of his emotions, it says throughout scripture that God is passionate for us, for his people. He's constantly talking about how he, that he's the groom and that he's pursuing us like a bride. That's the kind of love and the passion that God has for us. That he loves us like a father, providing for us in everything that we need. God has loved us so sacrificially with his heart with soul, with your life. God loved us so much that he would sacrifice his own life for us with his mind and understanding. It's this commitment that God has to us that Jesus, even when he's going through temptation, even when he goes to the garden, he's like, gosh, if there's any other way that I can do this, I don't want to go through this. But my commitment, my mind, my understanding is all for obedience and it's all for bringing my family back to me and paying whatever price must be paid with his strength. Jesus came and says not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. He washed feet of the people who rejected him. He touched the people that were unclean. He loved the people that were immoral. And with all of his might, he even went to the cross carrying the instrument of his own death after being beaten. God loved us in this way more than we could ever love him in that way. The only thing that he wants back from us is our hearts. That's the angst of the teenage life, is that you love everyone else and no one loves you. If they would just love me, please. That's the desire. As a parent, with your children, gosh, like, the only thing I want from them is to love me someday. That's all I want out of this. With God, what he gets out of it is people that love him back. People that receive his love and then give love back to him. When you get that revelation of the way that God's loved you, you won't be able to contain your heart or hold it back from him. You will love him more than your own life. That's what it says in the New Testament is, all the martyrs, that they love not their own life. They love Jesus more. 
with their mind and understanding, God, I don't understand a lot of the things that you've called me to. I don't understand everything you revealed about yourself. I don't understand everything about scriptures. But with all of my mind, with everything I can understand, I'm going to love you. And in the areas that I can, I'm just going to submit and trust you. And with all of our strength, Jesus, I don't want to waste my life doing anything but serving you. I don't want to waste my life and my energies and my resources for anything but you and you alone, Jesus. I want to love you with everything. And it's so important to have this balance because most of us will be strong in one area. There'll be the person that's strong and like they love Jesus with their passion, their heart. And so you know, they come in and they're dancing around loving Jesus and worship and then they go right back out and they don't serve anybody or they don't follow like a godly lifestyle in any way, shape, or form. You have people that come in and like, Jesus, I'll die for you, but there's no way I'm serving anybody else. Or you have people that it is just so intellectual all of their understanding of God and they look at the people that are raising their hands in worship, like I look at those emotionally driven people. What God wants is all of it. He wants us to love him with everything that we are, with every part of us, with our soul, with our mind, with our heart, with our strength. Everything is what he wants from us and all of it is what he alone is so worthy of. But it always starts with this revelation. This revelation of how good God is and how much he loves you. Uh, Jesus, he ends this um, in Mark chapter 11, verses 41 through 44. I'm skipping ahead of what we'll be doing next week, but this is what it looks like. It says that, and he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Oh gosh, here comes the pastor on money. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had to live on. You know what this widow did? You know why this story is in here? It's not, this story isn't primarily about giving, like financially. This story is the example of everything that Jesus just taught on. This widow loved Jesus, or loved God with all of her heart, with all of her soul, with all of her mind, and all of her strength. Which means that instead of just giving out of the abundance or the excess that she had in life, that she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything that she had to God because of her love for him. This isn't just speaking about finances. This is speaking about your passion. Jesus doesn't want you to be passionate about him with your excess passion. He wants all of your passion. He wants your passion to be poured out fully and entirely for him, just like his was for us. He doesn't want some of your life. He wants all of your life. He doesn't want the excess of your understanding. He wants all of your understanding, and he doesn't want the excess of your strength, your might, or your ability to act. He wants all of it. He wants every area of our life to line up with what this widow did. God, it's going to cost me everything to follow after you. But God, I can do it because of the love that I have for you. What she did was she said, God, I love you so much that I'm going to put my full faith and trust in you. And that's what love is. It's putting your full faith and trust in someone else, giving yourself over entirely to that other person. And that's what this widow did. God, my love for you is so great that I'm going to entrust everything that I am to you. And everything that I have, I'm going to use as a pour out, as an expression of my love for you. 
And the only way that she was able to get to that point or where she was able to do it was because she had a revelation of how great God's love was for her. You stand with me this morning. Now, preaching's a really weird thing because you don't lay out real very, very good arguments or clever things. All you do is you just tell people what the Bible says and try to do everything you can to tell them how awesome Jesus is and how great his love is. And the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to take those words and he begins to stir them inside of your heart. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is stirring something inside of your heart, wanting to stir up a love for Jesus inside of you, where you've been trying to do it of your own ability as an exercise of your own willpower, but you find yourself just constantly distracted by everything else and your heart going out to everything else. This morning, God has the ability to reveal his love to you in a way that will capture your heart. He has the ability to to show you his love. It's already been demonstrated on the cross, but he has the ability to take it from just being head knowledge that you have to something that breaks your heart. And this morning, if you know that you've been trying to live following after Jesus is based on your own willpower, your own strength, he's looked good on paper, but he hasn't captured your heart. Would you be so bold as to ask Jesus to come and to reveal his love to you? Would you be willing to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to begin to stir up a love inside of your heart that's based on the revelation of God's love for you? Would you ask God to come and to reveal to you how great his love and his affections are for you? Jesus, I pray over every person here. God, over every heart. God, we're born with hearts that are so hard. And the enemy does everything that he can to keep our hearts hard. But Jesus, this morning, would you break through the lies would you break through the hardness of our hearts? God, we have new and fresh revelation of how great your love is for us this morning. Jesus, our hearts would be captivated by you. Jesus, that we would adore you with everything that we are. Jesus, we pray that with all of our hearts, with all of our passion, with all of our desire, it would all be for you. Jesus, that we would be a people who are expressing that passion in our worship, Jesus. A people who are expressing the passion with our mouth, with our bodies, with the words that we speak to other people, Jesus, and the way that we live our life. Jesus, that we'd be a people who would be willing to lay everything down for you, loving you with all of our life, Jesus. God, all of our minds, all of our understanding, all of it for you and for you alone. Jesus, all of our might, with every act, with every power, God, with everything that we do, would it all be the overflow of a heart that's been captivated by your love for us, all poured out for loving you. 
Jesus, would you reveal how great your love is, the love that would take you to the place of the cross for a people who were your enemies. God, would you reveal that great love to us this morning? We're going to take just a minute uh, to worship together this morning. Celebrate God's love for us. spoke a word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathe your life in me You have been so, so kind to me. And all the overwhelming, ever-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves a 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away And all the overwhelming, never-ending, endless love of No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. 
There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. I mean, I feel like God gave me this picture of, of there's one of, one of you, maybe more of you that are here that you feel like you're the one that God forgot about. Like when Jesus went out for the one, he didn't find you. It's not true. He hasn't overlooked you. His eye and his heart have been set on you the entire time. And he's drawn near to you this morning. And he's calling you. Some of you might feel like it's just stupid that God would be able to love you. Or maybe you've gone too far. You've done too much. You've had this revelation of your own sinfulness. But you haven't had that revelation of God's grace. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. This morning he's come for you. To restore you back into relationships so you can become the recipient of his great love, his favor, and his blessing in your life. And to work something inside of your heart so that you have the ability to love him and be passionate about him and serve him with all that you are for the rest of your life. This morning, he's here for you. And all it does is it takes this, this is that recognition, God, forgive me. God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I repent of it. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live in a new way this morning. 
God, would you give me the ability to love you? God, so that all of the other desires and all the other loves that I've had that just keep pulling on my heart so they're broken once and for all and I'm able to follow after you and I'm able to love you with everything that I am and to be able to receive your love for me. Jesus, that's what I want. It starts with the repentance, that acknowledgement, and now it's believing. It's believing that he does love you. It's allowing him to stir up that love inside of your heart. And here's what you do to continue to live in love. You can have a moment like this on a Sunday morning, and then you go out and you kind of go back to life as normal and you forget about God's love. That's the story of Israel. That's the story of us. This is why God says this. Every day, remember the things that I've done for you. Every day, I want you to, to stir up. He says, I want you to write it on your heart. I want you to put it on your doorpost. I want you to tell it to your children. I want you to talk about it at the dinner table. I want you to talk about it while you're walking. But remember the things that I've done for you because as long as we continue to remember God's love for us, as long as we continue to remember that moment where he came and he met us and he did all of this in our hearts, we'll continue to live in love. We'll continue to live in gratitude and adoration for him. But it's so easy. What the enemy will do is he'll come in and he'll try to make you forget about all that Jesus has done for you. All that he's doing in your heart right now this morning. The way that we continue to live in love is by continuing to stir up remembrance of God's love for us every single day. It's what we do when we worship. Engage, go after it in worship. Adore Jesus and praise him, thank him. Remember his love for you. Jesus, thank you for what you've done this morning. Thank you for revealing your love. And will we be a people who continue to live in love for you. Everything we are, Jesus, all of it for you. All of our hearts, all of our strength, all of our minds, all of our passions. All of it for you, Jesus, and for you alone. Holy Spirit, give us the power and the transformation to live out the new life that you've called us to and to continue to live out love for you. Continue to stir up that passion in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward, and they'll be right in the front outside here. If there's anything we can pray with you about, we would love to pray with you. If today you decided to follow after Jesus or recommit your life to him, uh, let one of them know we're on the communication card. You can, you can check that on the back if there's a spot for that, because what we want to do is be able to have a conversation with you. Just a quick 10-minute, hey, tell us your story and what Jesus is doing, and how can we encourage you in that? Because it's so important to, to share and to tell someone what it is that God's doing in your life because you're going to need a friend and you're going to need encouragement as you continue to follow after him and live in love with him. So come let us pray with you. Let us know if you decided to follow Jesus. Drink some coffee, and we'll see you next week. God bless.